you can all sit down if you want, or you can sing some hymns. Whatever works. They did a good job here, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to say thank you, and I'm going to forget people. But you know, it's good to have Gary. He's a professional painter, and so Gary painted everything for us. And I don't know if you might have got a little help, but uh, thank you to Gary. Of course, Don was instrumental in kind of organizing it and all put it together. I don't know if he's the first one to realize that uh, we're going to be out there, and we've been wanting to do new carpet and new paint, so while we're out there, let's do all that. And uh, so he led that charge. And uh, the other Don, who sits right there and isn't here this morning, where'd Don go? Anyway, I'm sure he was a part of that as well, and others. Uh, so thank you to all those who uh, helped with carpet and everything else. We're still missing our piano. Yeah. Well, we sit down to get tuned, and we told them, we're no hurry, it's no big deal. And now we're in a hurry, and they're not. So uh, it'll be back. It'll be back soon, and we'll be able to reincorporate that as well. Some of you were asking, so are we going to stay inside? Are we going to do this every Sunday? And uh, we haven't determined that yet. We're still kind of thinking and praying about that. I can hear myself now. Was I not on before? Okay, we're, we're still trying to figure out all the new sound stuff, too. So we got buttons and all kinds of new stuff. So we haven't decided whether we're going to move back inside permanently. Um, I'm going to address that a little bit in a couple of minutes. Um, but pray about that with us. Because if we're going to kind of try to start returning back to what we used to call normal, uh, we also want to be prepared to do something with the children. And we're not ready to do that because when Rick left, he took Brenda with him. And so, so, so we're praying, asking God to raise somebody up out of our family that will step into that role and lead our children's ministry and kind of help us organize that. Um, so be praying about that because that's a huge component of who we are as a church family. We want to provide for our children. And it makes it difficult for some parents to come when there's nothing for their kids. And anyway. Um, that's something else to be praying about. I was reminded also this morning, we come back inside and, and we think everything's going to be normal. But we're still going to keep the offering box in the back, so we're not passing the offering bags and so on. We're, just, we're, we're trying to follow the rules as best we can. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Chewie. I'm a rebel. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of done with all the rules. But uh, anyway... Um, <laughs> That's what's happening right now. Be praying about those possible changes and what we might do or not do. You and I are living in the most divided, I think destructive, kind of dangerous time. At least in my seven years on the planet. This is a I've never seen our country so divided. We were divided in the 1860s on the issue of slavery and all the state rights issues that kind of drove the Civil War. That was a huge time of division, wasn't it? And then you think back in my lifetime, back in the 1960s, in the midst of the the sexual revolution, the hippies, and all the anti-Vietnam stuff that was going on, our country was incredibly divided. And yet, today just seems to be so much more so. People are angry. People are hostile. Uh, We're divided uh, racially. We're divided 
uh, politically. Um, we're divided baseball-wise, you know. Um, <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays fans in the, in, the, in the church. So we skated that one. You know, I don't know, Jimmy, was it, are you a racist? No, 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 no. Well, that's fine. You don't need to be a doctor, man. You know, Jimmy and I are still buddies, right? You know, Dodgers and Braves. And I, I told Jimmy, you know, I'm still not sure the best team won. His Braves were really pretty tough. So I, I'm sorry, that's how I feel. But we have all this division going on. And what's happened is it, it divides families. There's families that are divided in all this pandemic political election season. I have a family member, I'm trying to be careful how I say this, because this is going on in the whole entire world. Um, but I have a family member that unfriended me two election cycles ago because this family member, I'm trying not to use a pronoun, this family member assumed that he or she knew how I voted. I never expressed how I voted, we never talked about how I voted. But this person assumed how I voted and unfriended me. Families are divided. Friendships are divided. Um, and it's not always a hostile division. I have a very good friend. I've been riding bicycles with, with my friend since 1979. And we've maintained our friendship. We've ridden bikes together. We've done all kinds of things together. But... This pandemic thing is such that uh, four of us couples are planning to get together for dinner tonight. And this one couple said, well, are we going to be outside? Well, no, because it's going to be, you know, temperature in the 40s. And, oh, by the way, our backyard faces west. And those of you who don't ride bicycles, I don't know the wind always comes out of the west in the afternoon. And so, no, we can't be outside. Well, if we're going to be inside, are we going to be wearing masks and six feet apart? And uh, the hostess said, well, we can try. Well, we're not going to know. And, and again, it's not a hostile thing, but it, it's, it's a form of division. It happens in churches. It happens in churches. And I want you to know this morning that I don't care whether you're a Democrat a Republican, an Independent, a Libertarian, Greenpeace, I don't care. We're part of the body of Christ. And God calls us to what? Unity. To bring us together in unity. And so, who you vote for isn't going to change how I feel about you, right? Well, that was a weak response. <laughs> uh, and, and how I vote shouldn't change how you feel about me. We're in this together. You know, it's just crazy because <laughs> some of the challenges we face. Um, Pastor, why aren't you speaking out about this pandemic? And then I hear, Pastor, why did you speak out about this pandemic? <laughs> this is my favorite. Pastor, why are you being empowered? <laughs> Pastor, why are you being a rebel? So, I, I've had people tell me, uh, not to my face, I would say it's incorrect, that because I'm not doing what some pastors are doing and just totally defying the county and saying, can I say damn the torpedoes? We'll speak ahead, you understand the context there. Um, because that's not my spirit, you know, I'm a coward. And then those are saying, well, well you're a rebel, you guys are back inside this one. 
Uh, this, the whole division is just, it's just crazy. Uh, and then there's this one, Pastor, when are we going to go back indoors? Followed closely by, please don't make us go back indoors. <laughs> Pastor, why are we meeting outdoors when other churches aren't? Pastor, why do you want to go back inside? Other churches aren't doing that. It's fun being a pastor. Oh, this, and this is my favorite, because you'll all totally get this. Pastor, stop making us wear masks. <laughs> pastor, please make sure everybody wears a mask on Sunday. <laughs> so, here we are in the middle. And, and, and this whole division thing is just... I don't even know what word to plug in there. It's just, it's frustrating that the past and dangerous force. The church is not a business. The church is a body. The church is not a factory, it's a family. The church is not an organization, it's a living organism. And Jesus said something, I think, didn't he say something about a house divided against itself? Did he say something like that? I think he did. And so I, I want you to understand as we as we come this morning, um, that we're we're in this together, right? right? We hear that all the time, we're in this together, and then you realize that no we're not. It makes a nice motto, but we're really not together. And so this morning, um, I'm gonna do two things that I've never done before. Um, I'm going to tell you how to vote and who to vote for. Ooh, fasten your seatbelt. Okay. Um, it's going to be about trust. Well, I don't know. Right, we're going to find out. Well, let me pray. Lord, in the midst of all this division, in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of the, the reality of pandemic where people get sick, many people have died, um, we do share concern, compassion, and care in the midst of all that. And yet our our conviction is, Lord, that you're still on your throne, you're still in control. You are the mighty God of the universe. There's never a moment that you're not almighty. There's never a time that you're less than able. There's never a morning your mercies on you. There's never a moment that you're not faithful. And so, Lord, that's our confidence this morning. And whatever it is in our lives this morning, whether we're gathered here in this place that you've provided, whether we're at home in our, in our living rooms on YouTube, uh, wherever we are this morning, the, the cares, the concerns, the challenges, the difficulties we face, be they financial, physical, emotional, relational, whatever those challenges are, you are more than able to do exceedingly abundantly, above and beyond all we ask your thing. And it's in that confidence that, that we continue to trust you, to rest in you, to pray and pray for our country and our leaders, pray for our church, our church leaders. Lord, we're just confident that you are Lord of your church and that you reign supreme in this universe, on this planet, and in our church. And we're grateful for that as we've come this morning to worship you, to lift up your name. And we're grateful for all of these things as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So in this time of division, animosity, are you praying for our country? Are you praying for our leaders? Are you praying for the election? My uh, my phone, I, could, I, I went to the vote.org website this morning because I wanted to find out if you could still register to vote if you haven't registered. And they have a little countdown. Eight days, 15 hours, 36 minutes, 27 seconds till the election. How many of you have already voted? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Um, <laughs> yeah, I talked to three people this week and they said, you know, if I listened to that last debate, before I voted, I would have voted differently. So, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, well, I do know what to tell you because I've got some thoughts for you this morning. Uh, we started off uh, three weeks ago, I think, in First Timothy chapter 2, where Paul urged Timothy and the church that he led with the words, First of all, I urge them that prayers, entreaties, petitions, thanksgiving be made for all men, especially for kings and those in authority. And we talked that morning about the fact that we ought to be praying for our country, we ought to be praying for our leaders. We went from there to the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel is praying a prayer of repentance for the nation as he anticipates the end of God's 70 years of desolation in Jerusalem. And out of that prayer of repentance, I suggested to you last week kind of our own prayer of repentance. That uh, we live in a nation that desperately needs to repent. We live in a nation, a nation that's wandered far away from God's word, God's laws, God's ordinances. You know, when I talk to people about God's laws, what I try to express to people is we have a God who wants the very best for us. Do you believe that? God wants the very best for you. For you. For you. God wants the very best. And when he gave us his word, his ambition was that if we would live our lives according to the truths of this book, we would experience his best. And when we don't live our lives according to this book, we experience less than God's best. He wants the very best for us. And so this morning, as we think about the election that's coming up in eight days and 15 hours, I lose my sound somewhere. I don't hear myself. Um, I want you to understand the bottom line this morning is this. What I call the big idea. Believers ought to vote biblical principles and a Christian world view. Christians ought to vote biblical principles and a Christian world view. Now, where does a Christian find biblical principles and a Christian worldview? Uh, in the book. And so, that's kind of my bottom line and everything I want to share with you this morning. And so, the first thing I want you to understand is I want to encourage you to vote. I want to encourage you to vote. 25, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again, 25 million evangelical Christians are not even registered. People who would identify theologically with us are not even registered. 
and many Christians who are registered to vote won't vote. Don't vote. For a variety of reasons, it would take me too much time to go into. Um, I found this quote, and I, well, let me share this quote with you. Former Senator Paul Simon from Illinois, during one of his speeches in a university, said that the word idiot comes from Latin words that mean someone who does not get involved in civic life. The word idiot includes the idea that someone does not want to get involved in civic life. And I said, that is has got to be so off the charts wrong. It's a joke. It can't be true. So I went online. I went to dictionary.com. And guess what? <laughs> That's exactly true. And I thought, that is bizarre, isn't it? But so many people choose not to become involved. And I'll tell you what, we need more Christians involved in public life. We need more Christians running for office. We need more Christians on our local school boards. We need more Christians at our state assembly. We need more Christians in Washington, don't we? We do. And so why don't Christians get involved? Well, there's lots of reasons. But you and I, at least at our level, have the privilege, the opportunity, and yes, I'll use the word responsibility to vote. Men and women from our country, let me back up and say brave men and women from our country, have served across the planet in combat, preserving the freedoms that we have, right? And so I just, I, I just want to encourage you to vote. The scriptures tell us that our citizenship as followers of Jesus is where? Heaven. Paul says in the book of Philippians and again in Ephesians, our citizenship is in heaven. And yet, if you read beyond that, we have responsibilities. And as part of this, that kind of governs our thinking about how we're dealing with our governor's mandates. Um, by the way, have you read the latest about Thanksgiving and Christmas? Yes. If you're, if you're, uh, if you're parents of four children, um, you're only allowed to bring two other families to your house for Thanksgiving. So two of your children and your grandkids, you have to tell them they can't come. Um, and oh yeah, you have to meet outside, and you can only meet for two hours. And so um, what I've done is we're having a special event at my house uh, uh, because you can have 40 people at a funeral. And so uh, we're going to kill our we're going to kill our pet turkey, and uh, you're you're all invited to come to the funeral service. Bring bring sandwiches. You can't do that because uh, you can't put a family bowl of mashed potatoes on the table with a spoon, and then each person has to serve an individual dish, unless the serving person is masked and has gloves. So. Um, yeah, I'm a rebel, Chewy. <laughs> I'm a rebel. How do we get off on that? Hold First Peter chapter 2, let me remind you of these words, because this is the balance. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. And yet Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake in every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or the governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not lose your freedom as a covering for people. Use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so part of our responsibility, I think, as I read these words about doing right, acting as free men, um, it's the will of God. And so I just simply want to say we ought to vote. Um, what happens is a lot of time you're reading the newspaper, you're watching the TV news, and they're telling you now, eight days before the final day of the election on November 3rd, they're already telling you who's won, right? They're already telling you who's favored. And so what happens is some people hear that and what do they do? They don't vote because what's the point? Someone's already won, right? And you might recall what happened four years ago to kind of balance that. But a lot of people, uh, and so I, I want to say, don't listen to the polls and pollsters. Um, get out and go. Um, don't be discouraged by the prospect of long lines if you're going to go vote. Um, I don't know if the lines are going to be sad as they were four years ago. But there will probably be long lines if you wait for last. Don't let that discourage you. We need vote. Are you concerned about the whole mail-in ballot thing? You know, I'm always mailed my ballot, and I've done that for a long time. Because I've never known where, what my schedule's going to be on election day, and I wanted to make sure. And uh, now there's this, this fear about mailing men, and maybe it's justified, I don't know. Uh, my wife and I have had conversations about this, and uh, one of us is happy to mail it in, and the other one insists that I take her to drop it off. <laughs> so regardless of what works for you, the bottom line of point number one this morning is vote. The second thing I want to suggest to you is vote your convictions. Now what most people say is vote your conscience. Should you be voting your conscience? Why not? Well, I can give you a Bible verse for my not. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so our lives are not guided by our conscience. Even though as Christians, hopefully our conscience is being shaped and formed and impacted by God's Word, right? I mean, I'd like to assume that. But at the same time, your conscience is also being shaped Form and impacted by what? Media. The media. Newspapers. Radio. Television. And of course the ultimate greatest source of any information social media. Facebook. Instagram. Twitter. Whatever those other things are. And so conscience isn't a good guy. What I want to say this morning is vote your conviction. And hopefully those convictions have been formed, shaped, and molded by God's word. Vote your convictions. You know what's interesting? As I was thinking about this, um, Scripture says in Proverbs 14.34, Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 11.11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is torn down. And so, who should you vote for? Well, I thought, you know, there's several places in Scripture there's lists of qualities 
that ought to guide us when we choose leaders. So when it comes time to select elders and deacons in the local church, we have lists of qualities. First Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. And then the, the, those lists begin with this big umbrella that these people ought to be above reproach. And they're great lists. But those lists speak to church leaders. We're not electing a pastor next Tuesday, right? We're electing a president. And so I looked at those lists and I thought, well, I don't know if I can really honestly kind of look at those lists and say, we ought to, as we vote, we ought to be looking at this list. But then I got another list that I like a lot. And I never really thought about it before. But if you take your Bibles and look at Exodus chapter 18, there's a fascinating passage here as the children of Israel have left Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. The miracles that God has performed in the ten plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, they're, they're moving toward the land, they're near, kind of camped around Mount Sinai, and Moses is there with the people of God. And his father-in-law Jethro comes to visit. And so as the chapter opens, it talks about Jethro coming, he brings Moses' wife and, and children, and they sit down and have a meal with all the leaders, all the elders of Israel. And the next morning when they get up, it says in uh, verse 13, in Exodus 18, if you have a tract, it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. So Moses' task that he had taken was to settle disputes between people. And he's got three or four million people, we estimate, that are on this journey to the promised land. And so he's sitting all day, morning to night, making judgments of them, solving disputes and problems and challenges and difficulties. And so that goes on from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why did you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you were doing is not good. That's, I don't know how you all relate with father-in-laws and those of us that have sons-in-law. You know, th This is kind of a fascinating exchange, a fascinating interchange. And, jo and Jethro was saying to Moses, uh, What you're doing is not good. No bueno. No bueno. Practicing my Spanish. Okay. He says, You'll surely wear out. Both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You will be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk, and the work they are to do. Furthermore, this is where I want to become. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. 
Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you. But every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure all these people also will go to their place in peace. And as I was reflecting on this passage, I thought, you know, I love this list. This is a great list. If you're electing men to place in positions of leadership and authority over others, our city mayors and our state legislators, our congress, our president, we kind of all qualify as that, right? This is really a great list. I like this list a lot. Because he suggests um, these five ideas. He says, first of all, select out of all the people. Secondly, able men. Thirdly, who fear God. Fourth, men of truth. Fifth, men who hate dishonest gain. And so... He says, first of all, select out of all the people. The the people to select are one of us. You know, a common person to select the rest of us. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I don't know if that that idea eliminates uh, lifetime career politicians, but the idea is out of one of us. You know, we do that in the church. We select leaders that are part of us. It's kind of the same idea. Um, he secondly says, able men. Men of ability. Men who are capable. Men who are competent. And we can say politically women as well. Right, ladies? Boy, that wasn't very enthusiastic. But, uh, you know, I'm all over that. Um, the root word here, the Hebrew word, has the idea of strength and power. And my conviction is it's talking about a moral strength. That there's, these are able men. Proven, demonstrated leadership. Proven, tested track record. That's true when we choose leaders in the church. And that ought to be true when we select people for public office. Able men, third one says, who fear God. That have reverence and respect for God. That ought to matter to us, shouldn't it? I would wish that every person serving in public office would understand that they're under the authority of God and accountable to Him. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be awesome. Instead, there seems to be a little sense of responsibility and very little sense of accountability. Because there's an absence of the fear of God, reverence, and respect for Him. That's a great list. Uh, Men of truth. They're trustworthy, personal integrity, work can be trusted. They speak the truth and live the truth. I don't know about you, but I value that a lot. Truth. That's a great quality. And then the, the fifth one, they hate dishonest gain. Um, some of your translations might even use the word bribes. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that never happens in our country. You know, that happens in those third world countries where they have, what, what, what's the Spanish word? Fortita? Is that the Spanish word? Fortita? Um, you know, this happens in other countries. It doesn't happen here, right? 
Yeah. I remember reading a, a statement someone made some time ago, and they said, I'm not as concerned about the billionaire who comes to Washington, I'm concerned about the millionaires that leave Washington. <laughs> and you just wonder sometimes, so if I'm doing my research correctly, and the average uh, senator, congressperson is making a lot more money probably than you and me, but uh, less than $200,000 a year. How does someone making less than $200,000 a year accumulate millions of dollars of personal wealth? How does that happen? Uh, I don't, I'd love to know the secret person. Uh, I, I can figure that out for my life, right? My bank account. They hate dishonest gain. Uh, not influenced by the prospect of financial gain. Um, this is a great list. Out of all people, able men, fear God, men of truth, who hate dishonesty. These are the kind of men and women we ought to be looking for in leadership, right? Is that a good list? Just one person saying yes, that's a great list. No, that's a great list. The, the problem is, when you look at this list and you look at all the candidates, and, and by that I mean not just the president, the guys running for president, but Congress and the Senate and the state and all this. Who measures up to that list? And so what, I have friends who tell me I'm not going to vote. Why not? Well, because I, am, I refuse to vote for the lesser of two evils because they're both evil. Well, I'm not sure where that goes if we all chose not to vote. Because none of them are going to measure up fully to this list, right? But it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And like I said, we're electing a president, we're electing congresspeople, we're not electing pastors. Um, by the way, um, if a church ever finds itself uh, looking for a new pastor, that does happen sometimes. Um, if a church ever finds itself looking for a new pastor, this is a good list to consider along with the ones in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. It's a good list. Yeah, we're not electing a pastor, we're electing a president. Um, our search committee, by the way, is meeting tomorrow night, 6.30, I think. And uh, we're going to be kind of coming to a conclusive decision. Uh, we've decided that we're going to be recommending to the church that we get some help in the process. And tomorrow night, we're going to be choosing who we're going to ask to help us, or who we're going to recommend to the church that we ask to help us. I'm not sure how all that plays out. Um, but be praying for us. Well, yeah. Um, it's a tough, tough, it's a tough decision and uh, an important decision. But we're moving forward, and if you keep asking me, do we have a candidate yet? Uh, we're still a ways away from there, because we want your input in the process, and we haven't come to you yet and asked for your input. Um, and when we do that, we'll be ready then to take some of the, the next steps. Who to vote for? I just told you who to vote for. We ought to be voting Biblical principles, Christian worldview. We ought to be choosing people who are competent, able, fear God, are trustworthy, speak truth, live truth, hate dishonesty. Those are the kind of people we ought to be. So I want you to vote. I want you to vote your convictions. And then how to vote. And I've got a fun little list that uh, I kind of like this list too. Do you like lists? Do you make lists to help you do stuff? Uh, 
I have a list in my garage every time I go on a bike ride, and I've listed everything I need to take with me. And the problem is I never remember to look at the list. I get about four miles from home, and where are my water bottles? I forgot my water bottles. Lists are good, but you have to read them and pay attention to them. And so, how to vote? Six ideas, real quick. Vote for principle over party. You know, so many of us vote a strict party line with no deviation. We aren't looking and asking questions about uh, morality issues. We're not asking questions about, is that guy in the other party? Does he hold positions more consistent with my Christian worldview? So, vote principle over party. And I understand there's a big difference. By the way, if you haven't figured out what the big difference this year between the two party platforms, there are pages and pages of platform information. It's, it's tiring to read, but they are life-extending. But in spite of that, my encouragement to you is vote biblical principle, not party. My second thought is vote for principle over pork. So many people talk about, well, this guy, if he gets elected, he's going to bring all this, all these dollars into the state of California. If this guy gets elected, he's going to bring all this money into the city of Norwalk. And so the, the whole idea of, of the benefit to our community, and, and there's value to that, but it ought to be preceded by what? Principle over court. Uh, John Kennedy, in his first inaugural address, made a statement that has stuck with me for, I don't know, more than 50 years. He said, ask not... What your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And so often, we find ourselves in that position of expecting the government to take care of us, the government to step in, the government to do this, the government to do that. So, principle before pork, and then similarly, principle before pocketbook. We're looking oftentimes for personal benefit. If I elect this guy, my business will benefit. If I elect this guy, my, my personal uh, income and my personal monies will benefit. You know, they, they gave us that $1,200 stimulus thing back in, when was that, April? Way back. And they've been talking for six months since then about another one. And people get really excited about that. That, that one's got to come from somewhere, right? But we focus on personal gain, personal benefit. And I want to remind you of what I reminded my good friend of this week we were talking about his business. And we were talking about his struggle to create income during this time of pandemic. That it's been really hard, it's been really difficult, financially stressful. And he was placing blame on this person, that person, this event, that event. And I'm not always real direct, I'm not always real bold, I'm kind of subtle. But because of our friendship, I said to him, you've got to remember, God is your provider. Bottom line, God is your provider. Your provider is not the government, your provider is not the state of California, your provider is not this person or that person, this organization. Your provider is God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first 
the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And what? All these things will be added unto you. Now, Judy preached that theme earlier when he was the Jesus first, Jesus first, priorities first. Um, when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, God says, I'll not take care of the rest. Can we trust him to take care of the rest? That's the question. Paul said in Philippians 4.19 that my God, my God is able to meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory. There's no shortage to those riches, right? No shortage. And so, principle over party, principle over pork, principle over pocketbook. And then I wrote a note to myself, principle over person. We are so attracted to uh, vote for someone uh, who's connected some way. Uh, my uncle's best friend's gardener's brother is running for office. And, uh, you know, uh, we just we do weird things. And sometimes I feel like even as adults, we kind of vote the same way we did in junior high. <laughs> when we vote for people, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of another quote from another Another man, Martin Luther King, in his great uh, speech, I Have a Dream, he talks about the dream is that people would be evaluated on character rather than color. And oftentimes we forget that character matters above everything else. Biblical principle, Christian worldview. Um, principle over party, over pork, over pocketbook, over person. Principle over popularity. You know, some people will choose to vote this week because of who is already projected to win because they want to be on the winning side. Does that make sense to you? I have another family member. Be careful here again. <laughs> I have another family member, and this individual posted on Facebook uh, more than a week ago, because this individual had, had already voted, and so he was commenting about his vote. And on Facebook, his comment was, I have been waiting four years to vote against Trump. And my first thought was, you know, I've never thought of an election as voting against someone. I've always thought of it as I'm in favor of this individual. I'm in favor of this platform. It's just a different way to look at it. And we oftentimes vote uh, by popularity. Any of you ever run? Any of you ever run for office in high school? James, you're not in high school yet. Unless <laughs> <laughs> you're way ahead of way ahead of dad. You're in high school already. Um, so the end of my junior year, I ran for student body president to be student body president the following year. And the guy who ran, and I've been at the high school, junior high and high school, same campus. I've been there 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, and now 11th grade. I've been there five years. The guy who ran against me, uh, that was his first year at the school, but he was a very attractive young man, very rich, and drove a really cool sports car. <laughs> Yeah, he won. <laughs> Was that hard to figure out? Come on. But I think sometimes, even as adults, we, we kind of vote the same way, you know? It's not about popularity. Um, <laughs> Paul said in Galatians, I like this, he says, Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? 
Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Principle over popularity. And then the last one. Vote for principle over political speech. You know, I don't know about you, but I have talked to people who vote because he's an amazing speaker. Wow. You know, there's more to political office than being able to stand up and talk. Right? Oh, somebody realized that. But so often, people are impressed with speechifying. That's not where I work. The question is, how do they live? How do they vote? By the way, if a church was ever in the process of searching for a new pastor, is there a likelihood that people would focus a lot on how good of a speaker that individual was? Does that ever happen? all the time. And so, I'm just going to toss this in here, kind of pop the cup. You know, some of this kind of connects with our search for a pastor. Um, all the things that we want to evaluate, all the things we want to pay attention to. We, we want someone who's going to be a faithful teacher of God's Word, right? But there's a whole lot more to be a pastor than standing up on a Sunday morning and talking. Trust me. I hope someone else realizes that besides me, right? But so often, when it comes to voting, we vote party line, we vote for the pork and the pocketbook that we're going to benefit from. We're swayed by personality, popularity, political speech. We're swayed, swayed by all the wrong stuff. Vote. Vote your convictions. And then thirdly, vote your convictions prayerfully. And we circle back now to 1 Timothy chapter 2. That we ought to be deeply in prayer for our country, deeply in prayer for the whole election process. There's a lot of conversation about fraud, there's a lot of conversation about all kinds of you know mischievous doings and these ballot boxes and who's are they? It just goes on and on. We need to pray. Vote your convictions prayerfully. Paul said to Timothy, first of all, I urge you. Prayer, entreaties, petitions, thanksgiving. Pray for all men, especially for kings and those in authority. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. You have anxiety about this election? Do you find yourself kind of worried about what's going to happen? Are you a little stressed that the wrong person might get elected? Is that causing you anxiety and stress? Yes. <laughs> yes! I understand that. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Living Bible puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. The Living Bible says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Oh, by the way, Paul goes on to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request be known to God. And God will do what? He'll give you the peace that passes understanding. We need to pray. We need to vote our convictions for 
I don't know that uh, former Senator Paul Simon was right that the word idiot means it comes from an origin. Those who don't want to get involved in civic life, but we need to vote. We need to vote our convictions, biblical principles, Christian worldview, and we need to do that first. And so, I want to urge you this morning: keep your eyes on God's sovereign reign. He is the one who raises up kings and rulers and puts them down. Ultimately, who is going to determine who occupies the White House in January? God. Who is it that ultimately is going to determine who occupies the governorship in the state of California going forward? Well, we are. We're both per recall. No. God is the one who determines. The scriptures are so clear. God raises up and puts down kings, governors, even raises up and puts down countries. Which ought to be an idle prayer for us as we look at our country. So keep your eyes on God's sovereign truth, God's sovereign reign. Keep your eyes on eternal truth. Our citizenship ultimately is in heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just passing. And yet we have responsibilities. We have obligations. We need to vote. Our convictions. Keep your eyes on God's sovereign reign. Keep your eyes on eternal truth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Keep your eyes on biblical principles. Biblical values. You know, there's issues that I care about a lot. Moral issues. Biblical issues. I care about the sanctity of life. From fetus to the grave. I care about the sanctity of life. I care about the sanctity of marriage. I care about God's definition of marriage. That's a biblical principle part of my personal Christian world view. I, I care about the poor and the marginalized. That's a part of my Christian world view. Part of my biblical principles to care about the truly needy. I care about the environment in which we live. I care about the stewardship of this planet. It's a part of my Christian worldview, my Christian biblical principles. I care about religious freedom. I care about the Bill of Rights. But I want to tell you, God's call to you and to me is not to scream and holler and demand our rights. God's call to you and to me is that we would live lives that are righteous. He calls us to righteousness, not rights. He calls us to love, not dominance. And he calls us to keep our focus on the simple truth that regardless who's elected to any of us, God is still on his throne, God is still in control, God still rules. And as the ruler in your life, in my life, and the ruler in our church, I told you before, someone asked me this yesterday, I said, no, 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 Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. You know, I'm just trying to follow him. Jesus is the senior pastor. He's in charge, right? He's in charge. And the Lord of the church who's in charge, what is his 
number one concern for the people in the United States of America and beyond. Number one concern is what? Salvation. God's number one concern is that men and women, boys and girls, become to know and love Jesus. Commit their lives to following Him. That they would come to Jesus in repentance and faith, becoming followers of Him. And so everything we do as a church, everything we do as individuals, we need to do in the context of God's mandate. I'm not concerned about my governor's mandate. I'm concerned about Jesus' mandate. And his mandate is simple. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's in the city of Norwalk, Downing, Whittier, Paramount, Bellflower, Bomberada. I'm trying to get all the cities around this. Cerritos. That's God's plan for the people that are living on the roof. God's plan for the state of California and our whole country and the whole world. So our focus, don't get things out of focus. Our focus is on Jesus. He's in charge. He has a plan for us. Keep your focus there. But my encouragement to you is vote. Vote your convictions. Vote your convictions through. Lord, I've gone too long, too far. But I shared my heart the best I know how. I've shared my concerns the best I know how. And my prayer as always has been that by your Holy Spirit you would take these feeble thoughts, these words, and what what needs to be heard and understood that you would just guide that. And if there's things that I've said or suggested that just either don't matter or are incorrect, just kind of curse those out away from us. Keep us focused on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to do that and not to be distracted by all this other stuff. We want to see you, as we sang earlier this morning, we want to see you high and lifted up. We want to honor you above all else. Yes, we we owe a measure of honor to those in political office. But our first, our first move of honor, respect, and praise is to you. Help us to keep that focus in this crazy, upside-down, weird, disturbed, divided world. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to do that. Because we cannot do it on our own. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.
have a uh, church family and business meeting to follow, we meet where then? Right here. So uh, we plan to start that at 1130, which is coming pretty quick. So uh, Don's pointing over there, so I'm getting... Unless you can get out of here by 1 o'clock. No, we'll go to this first classroom. But well, we should be out here by 1 o'clock. Yeah. How long is your report, Don? <laughs> I think wisdom probably is for us to move if we can. That's why I'm not at that press because we do need to sterilize and do that for the Spanish church. So um, help us do that. We're just saying that uh, he's altogether worthy, wonderful. And so as we leave, whether you think the business meeting, the meeting now, leave later, as we leave, we serve a wonderful, worthy God. And it's not like to say the church is going to leave the building. We is the church, not this building. We is the church. And if the church leaves the building, we go to the greatest mission field on the planet, right here in Norwalk and surrounding communities where we live. God bless you.